Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We're talking history. We're talking musical history on this podcast. Welcome, folks, to Talking Musical History Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Chris. Uh, we know we promised that we would be moving on to Annie right now, but we had to give you a mini episode to just uh, keep you going. Uh, so instead of talking about Annie, we're going to be talking about the Oscars and, more importantly, coming around the corner, the Tony Awards. Tony, 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 Tony! We started talking about this topic about a year ago when... It was kind of rumored in some kind of way that maybe Hamilton, because of its premiere on Disney Plus, would be eligible for a Oscar. The Tony Awards started back on Easter Sunday, April 6, 1947, in the Waldorf Astoria's Durand Ballroom. That's pretty cool. Unlike many people, including myself, thought it is not actually named for a guy named Tony. It is named after the late actress, director, and producer, along with wartime leader of the American theater wing, Antoinette Perry. Very cool. Vera Allen was Perry's successor for this black dress-coated evening of dinner, dancing, and entertainment. First performers were Mickey Rooney, Herb Schreiner, Ethel Waters, and David Wayne. Vincent Sardi from... Zardy's famous eatery. Oh, yeah. That shows up a lot. You just eat at Zardy's every day. <laughs> if you're a big famous producer, was given a special award along with Jose Ferrer, Arthur Miller, Helen Hayes, Ingrid Bergman, Patricia Neal, Elia Kazan, and Agnes DeMille. We could afford this ticket. It was only $7.50. That's pretty cool. That's uh, that's actually quite reasonable price considering. Mm-hmm. It would go up to $10 the following year after it gained some success. WOR and the Mutual Network broadcasted on radio. However, starting in 1956, you could catch it on television, but only shown locally on Dumont's Channel 5. This brought some new talented performers like Catherine Cornell, Guthrie McClintock, Ralph Bellamy, Joan Crawford, Alfred D. Ligare Jr., Gilbert Miller, Shirley Booth, Carol Channing, Joan Fontaine, Dreamy Paul Newman. <laughs> well, I mean, he was considered kind of dreamy back in the day. No, no, no. I mean, like, yeah. Paul Newman is an attractive human being. Um, I always think of him in Cool Hand Luke. Uh, okay. That's that's the thing that always uh, 
comes up and like you know there there's definitely like this whole like him like sprawled out on the table like like you know uh, uh topless like jesus so like when you yeah. think when you say that that's what that's what hits my head uh because watching cool hand luke in film school geraldine page along with paul newman and bancroft sydney potier robert goulet henry fonda and others following the ultimate untimely death of helen menken not related to Allen, who was the chairwoman of the wing. The 1966 Tonys were presented in the Rainbow Room without entertainment for the first and only time. The first inaugural national broadcast was the following year, headed by now Isabel Stevenson as the president of the Schubert Theater, now hosting instead of a hotel baller. CBS started to air the Tonys in 1978, receiving numerous Emmy Awards. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the first two years, winners would receive a scroll and either a gold money clip for men or a compact for women. In 1949, United Scenic Artists ran a contest for a suitable model for the award. Herman Rose won that contest and with disc-shaped medallion that remains in use. Since 1968, the Tony medallion was mounted on a black pedestal with curved armature with a tracking number for each one. One side of the disc is done before the award is presented with the comedy and tragedy masks along with the name of Annette Perry. While the other side is engraved after the winner has been chosen with their name, category of award, and the production of and year. Antoinette Perry was born June 27, 1888, inspired by actress playwright Rachel Crothers, directing her own plays, led Perry to direct. She was wealthy from playing the stock market and her relationships. She was an independent woman. Along with her work in the theater, she was a co-founder of the theater wing of Allied Relief, now the American Theater Wing, that started back in World War II. During this time, she got the support from Rodgers and Hammerstein, who helped cheer up the troops during fighting overseas. Brock Pemberton memorialized her with the nickname Tony, and it stuck. That's pretty cool. That's that's such a clear-cut story, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely and uh you know i i was interested to learn about it because it's something you know i've grown up watching in the tony awards since i can remember and loving those moments that define who we are as a culture who i am as a as a human being at different times in my life and reflecting on how much progress we have come, but also how far we can go. Yeah, um, I'll have to admit, I never really watched the Tonys until Neil Patrick uh, Harris started uh, hosting them. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't about to like skip out on the ability to like, like see what that was like, and like, you know, watching the Tonys was was pretty cool, one hundred percent. I 
I just never like I was more film related than anything else. So I would always watch the Oscars, which is really funny because like I stopped watching the Oscars around the same time I started watching the Tonys. Really great award ceremony. You know, if you think about it, it's it's sort of like uh, Broadway's connection to be able to get into television, get their opportunity to see, uh, get the general public around to uh, go out to see Broadway, to see theater and enjoy that. It also gives them, you know, you know the Broadway, the opportunity to be able to earn an Emmy, right? Yeah. Like uh, uh, Lin-Manuel, you know, um, who, you know, this is a little bit about. Well, I mean, he is Hamilton. So. You know, when, when you're talking about like a, a Pulitzer and an Emmy, uh, a, a Grammy, a Tony, like, you know, like he, like, like Hamilton's name is all on all of those. I mean, and uh, don't get me wrong, Lin has done other things, but I mean, like, you know, like he. Moana in the Heights. Yeah. But I mean, like he is the reason why that show is so prevalent in our society like a lot of people have said that oh man like you know Lin-Manuel is like the 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 rock star like the first rock star of Broadway and then it's like wow did they all forget about Andrew Lloyd Webber that's too bad as a person who studied musical theater Andrew Lloyd Webber is I will say the most accessible he is the most he speaks to like everyone all of his is the most marketable musicals that have ever been made. That's true. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Jesus Christ, Superstar. Jellicle Cats come out tonight. Jellicle Cats. <laughs> he brought me into musicals. I mean, my first musical experience was very much like Randy Rainbow, um, although I wasn't kicking and screaming, apparently, as opposed to... I was very happy to go see Cats, the musical. And I remember dancing as much as I could to um, Rum Tum Tugger and uh, all the other, you know, McCavity and, yeah. So Andrew Lloyd Webber helped build your relationship with musical theater. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. um, Oddly enough, I would have to say the exact same thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. My mom took me to see Cats um, in Detroit uh, at an early age. Um, we might have been to the same production. Who have, knows? <laughs> might have been to the same production. Who knows? And uh, um, yeah, I mean, like uh, uh, it was a cool show to watch. And I, I recognize that uh, that's coming from uh, a child memory because, you know, I, I, I look back at uh, like a TV show like He-Man or G.I. Joe and I go, oh, OK. Those, yeah. I'd never noticed the things going on there, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, um, you know, like uh, uh, Cats is really just like a, a dancing spectacle with like a really like boss, like main song rather. Memory. Yeah, memory. It's, it's their bazooka. Right. Like you, you get to that point and like, you know, like let's, let's see if anyone can have a dry that's, eye by the end of the that's song. The secret of Andrew Lloyd Webber. He has one major song in each musical that he has done. And that one major song is what's got him to where he is. He has one killer song. The rest can be completely forgettable. Um, but if you have Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, Memory, Close Every Door, musical theater royalty right there. Yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, uh, you follow you follow a, uh, a formula and you keep to it. I That's how you get Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Much respect. Much respect, definitely. But the, I believe, in, in terms of king of musical or musical theater grandpa, as I like to call him, in a very loving, endearing, and hopefully I meet you someday, Stephen 
Stephen Sondheim. Oh yeah, Sondheim. Like he's the pinnacle, right? Like everybody agrees. To... Right. Musical theater would not be what it is today if it had not been for Sondheim, and yes, Stephen Schwartz as well. I honestly like. Uh, um, here, here's a weird thing, and I know this isn't really like musical related, but I think this is a good think piece. Yeah. I think Sondheim is very similar to like Dan Harmon okay. is to like like television. Okay. Because, like, Soundheim is, like, super respected, yes. but he's not commercial because his stuff is just, like, human. It's human. It's Sunday in the Park with George, Assassin. It's, it's company. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and, and these, are, these aren't comfortable subjects, right? And there's, like, a lot of, like, what's going on. Like, and, and that's sort of the cool thing about it. Like Dan Harmon's the same way where like, you know, you have like shows like Community, you have uh, uh, shows like Rick and Morty. They're not neat and simple. There's a lot of like dirtiness in them. And like definitely Community is a lot more marketable, much like Into the Woods is, yes. but it's still like not. What about the Oscars? Yeah, let's, let's talk about, about the, the history of the Oscars. So the Oscars are is as much older than the Tonys, yeah. which is really kind of surprising considering like theater is obviously older. Older than film, yes. Yeah, yeah. and you would you would you would be surprised that like because you know Broadway existed before Hollywood, right? Yeah, no, it it so did. So like it, it's just interesting that like you know we're talking about like Hollywood figuring this out in uh, 1927 before the Tonys uh, were, were, were put together, which is, like, amazing. So uh, Louis B. Mayer, uh, who start, helped start the uh, uh, studio Metro-Golden-Mayer, you guys probably re- recognize that lion roaring. Um, he uh, wanted to build a, a, a way to uh, uh, unify the five divisions of the five departments of, of filmmaking. It was actors, directors, producers, technicians, and writers. Right. So those were the original five, but now there's 17. To this day, we're having actors, casting directors, cinematographers, costume designers, designers, uh, directors, do- document documentarians, uh, executives, film editors, makeup artists and hairstylists, music, producers, public relations, short films and feature animations, sound, visual effects, and writers. That is so many different branches. Whenever you see a close-up of a picture of an Oscar, you see the the statue, which has always been um, relatively the same size. There have been some like sort of free and funky versions of the statue. They actually, uh, um, just a random tidbit, they made a version of a statue for um, a ventriloquist that was wooden that like actually had the ability to like move its mouth. Uh, for a famous vaudeville star. Uh, tons of different Oscars. Oscars like a 13 and a half inch tall statue, 8.5 pounds. What they start giving out in uh, 1929, right before um, the Great Depression. It was sculpted by George Stanley. And it was designed by Cedric Gibbons, who actually won 11 Oscar awards. You know, um, just like everything else in the film industry, it's all collaborative. After this message, we'll be right back. Up until 2009, winners had to give the Oscar back for a week to engrave it and attach the plaque. But now they do that the same night 
with 3D printing technology. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. There was actually a, a period in uh, during World War II where they actually weren't even casting them in, with the, the, the special metal and, and case yeah. in gold. They would give like a, a fake statue and then they said, hey, like you hold on to this and then when the world is over, we'll actually recast a statue for you and give you an actual Oscar. Um, a tradition that they've maintained. They've maintained the height of the statue, they've maintained the weight of the statue, and the look of the statue uh, all this time. And uh, how did the Oscar get its name? So this is this is the thing that's sort of up for debate. Yeah. Yeah, there's like about three different stories around that. Um, let's let's talk about... Betty like, Davis. <laughs> like, <laughs> Betty Davis, yeah. Academy Awards uh, uh, president for how long? Two months. Yeah, two months. Yeah. So she she what she said it was reminded of her reminded her of her husband's butt. It was her husband's butt after he got out of the shower. That's so specific. So so I assume that Betty Davis's uh, uh, husband's butt was made of gold. Um, so she was president for two months because she was proposing that they cut the dinner and dancing along with not having the extras vote. Yeah, this is problematic, uh, mainly because the reason is they, you know, according to her... Yeah, she felt know, like they were a bit too uncouth yeah. to uh, uh, actually They didn't understand, vote. and they um, could sway the election of the voting process well, and really and that's what it comes down to right is they like were what, literate they didn't what read, what they, people want right like they didn't speak english she, she wanted her movies to win and she was more concerned about like denying votes instead of making a better product and, and mind you like being able to vote in the academy awards is a very very like a um, coveted thing it's a very elite position super elite position so like uh first off only like eight thousand people like give or take like uh, um have that power right now it is literally the most watched award show it is it is essentially like the Super Bowl. It is It is the Super Bowl. It is the Super Bowl of movies. Like, honestly, the Super Bowl should be called the Academy Awards of football, which is older. The Academy Awards is older. It's almost a century old. How old is the Super Bowl? The answer I found is 53 years. Oh, thank you, Siri. You are the best. The Academy Awards has been around almost a century, right? Like, we're yeah. talking about, like, in nine more years. Uh, sort of the most significant thing and why this is, like, why... Why are you guys talking about the Oscars in this uh, uh, podcast that's supposed to be about musical theater history? I want to tell you why. The first best picture, the first best picture in the Academy Awards is what? The Broadway Melody. Oh, the Broadway Melody. Yeah, the Broadway Melody. Musicals are a big part of Hollywood. As a matter of fact, like literally there has been a musical in best picture almost every decade except for the 70s the 80s and the 90s yeah there's a there's like a big split between 1969 with oliver in 2003 with chicago it, it is what it is that's a, a pretty long gap um between like uh oscar wins you know, like uh, uh, there's there's been a lot of great uh, musicals though, right? Like My Fair Lady, uh, yeah. The Sound of Music, An American in Paris, Oliver, West Side Story. Yeah. Another gap I wanted to talk about in this with the Oscars is the presidency. Um, we had a little, uh, you know, a little stint with uh, Betty Davis in there for two months before Walter Wagner, who is 
the one before took back over and then it was the boys club up until 1979 to 1983 with Faye Cannon and then the second official woman or third if you count Betty Davis was Cheryl Boone Isaacs from 2013 to 2017 and then just like after the election it was the boys club again even even like most recently like uh, the Oscars had to be forced to be more diverse because uh, like earlier they were at like what 73% white male I mean like I hear that meatloaf uh, uh, votes in the Oscars which you know honestly an interesting thing, like uh, going back to talking about like a little bit about uh, uh, Louis B. Mayer. Um, uh, I call him Louis. Louis B. Mayer. Louis B. Mayer really wanted these awards start, started so he could like control the the Hollywood industry better. So so like uh, um like the great quote for him is like found the best way to handle filmmakers was to hang medals all over them. If I got them cups and awards, they kill themselves to produce what I want. And like, you know, that's, it's like terrible, but also ingenious. The Academy Awards has been like, I enjoyed watching them when I was a kid, uh, when I believed that they were, you know, a little bit more fair. Um, I don't know if I necessarily believe that, which today, which brings me to the important conversation of talking about the Academy Awards basically said that Hamilton wouldn't be allowed to get an Oscar because that works that are essentially promotional or instructional are not eligible, nor are the works that are essentially unfiltered records of performances. So they say... They say... So the rule um, of barring Hamilton, allegedly, uh, so this is citing Rule 2, Section G of the 93rd Academy Award Rules, which takes uh, pandemic-mandated movie theater closures into account and states that the committee will evaluate all matter of rules and eligibility, its members determined that Hamilton does not qualify. So, like, um, I feel like they made it like a special ex- exception to allow films in, but then also carved out a special exception for Hamilton to be left out. How convenient. So, uh, um, yeah, here comes the armed battalion. To remind you of my love, I have to say that, like, even if you cut off the credits... And the 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 intro, even if you cut all that off um, and, and they sort of go over this in um, the, the film theorists, I think you should check them out uh, that you, you'll like look at a whole bunch of different movies and TV shows and whatnot, media, a whole different way. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a YouTube channel. They're, they, they contest that uh, Hamilton most definitely should be able to get an Oscar because it like it is a filtered movie. It can't possibly be an unfiltered movie because it was built with three different recordings of the show, two of which had had an audience and one that did not have an audience. The one that didn't have an audience, they had a lot of different camera angles. Yeah, and uh, uh, the people, the the glorious people of the Academy decided that uh, uh, it wouldn't be eligible for an Oscar, even though technically, like, if you look at the rules and what the film is, then logically any person... Uh, would see that that obviously makes the idea of a film, but I would assume that uh, the the Academy would rather have Lin Manuel make In the Heights. <laughs> right, he better get an Oscar for that. That one I can see at least being nominated because then he can get a, a double Oscar when he finally makes Hamilton the film, which I'm sure is what they really. I'm want sure they're, they're it's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. 
But yeah, that's another amazing movie that I'm sure will get lots of Oscar buzz unless something else really amazing comes out um, to just blow it out of the water. But I mean, Lynn's gold right now. So, Ladies and gentlemen, the Tonys are back. Coming Sunday, September 26th on CBS and Paramount Plus, streaming live at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, plus a bonus after performance, aptly named Broadway's Back, a multi-platform celebration of the best Broadway, a unique special program that will celebrate the return to live theater and unforgettable performances commemorating the American Theater Wing's 74th annual Tony Awards. Wow, I cannot wait to see that. That is definitely something that's a not-miss kind of event. Uh, The 74th Tony Awards, unfortunately, will have no in-person audience. The official eligibility cutoff date for Broadway productions opening in 2019-2020 season, there are only about 18 shows uh, that um, really are eligible to win an award. Uh, And because uh, these were all of the shows that sort of existed before February 19th, 2020, uh, when Broadway closed. And uh, those shows are A Christmas Carol, Grand Horizons, The Great Society, The Height of the Storm, The Inheritance, Linda Vista, My Name is Lucy Barton, Sea Wall, A Life, Slave Play, The Sound Inside. Uh, And uh, uh, for original musical, we have Jagged Little Pill. Oh, yeah. I've heard really good things about that. I I know someone who went to see it and brought me back the playbill. So is this about Alanis Morissette's life or No, it's it's one of those jukebox musicals. Oh really? Is it is it is it based off of that album? It's a like it's yeah, there's different songs from Alanis Morissette's work <laughs> and it deals a that lot of find my 90s. Yes. <laughs> you live, you learn. Yeah, and um so it's really I'm re- really amazing. That one's one I really want to see. And Slave Play, I heard really amazing things in the interview. Jeremy O'Harris, The Daily Show. It's And it's a play about race, sex, power relationships, trauma, and interracial relationships. It uh, sounds like a pretty cool show. And also with Jagged Little Pill, it also deals with issues of identity in terms of like LGBT folk. Yeah, that's awesome, Kevin. Um, so uh, other uh, original musicals up is The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson, the Percy Jackson musical. Yes. Uh, Moulin Rouge is another uh, one, definitely. Moulin Rouge, the musical. Moulin Rouge, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, which I think is about time. Yes, and I've heard some of this. I've heard, uh, I've heard all these, and it's really, it's really nice. There's some really great stuff in there, and then uh, there's some awesome re- play revivals as well with uh, Betrayal, Frankie and Johnny in the Claire de Lune, The Rose Tattoo, and uh, one of my favorites, uh, Soldiers Play, and uh, uh, that's a play, a drama by Charles Fuller. Uh, the play uses a murder mystery to explore the complicated feelings of anger and resentment that some African Americans have towards one another. Um, it's a it's a really interesting story. I I strongly suggest checking it out. Yeah, that definitely sounded like it would be good as well. Yeah, but uh, um, those are all the shows up for best play, best revival of a play, uh, all those great awards, and we're gonna find out who all the winners are and all those awesome performances and post performances, post performances 
for all you musical theater fiends that that have been dying because you haven't had your fix because there is no live theater really through this terrible terrible pandemic that has taken so many um the tony awards are around the co- corner and you're going to see a lot of great a lot of great work a lot it's of great coming back yeah broadway's coming back we're back baby <laughs> But yeah, and, and also we talk a lot about movie musicals because most of what we are watching is movies that are musicals. Yeah, and, and it's super available to us. It's not like uh, we can go out to a Broadway show, which would be cool, or even a local theater show. Although... Um, yeah, things are turning around, we right? Are, we are going to go see... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Something rotten. And we are going to talk about that afterwards because that'll be the first show since we started the podcast that yeah. we can go attend in a live theater at Croswell Opera House in oh, Michigan. Man. It's so exciting. So exciting to see live theater again. And we will be back to talk about Annie to start our season two. Thank you all for taking a little detour with us. Well, thank you very much for listening. I am Kevin. And I'm Chris. We're talking history. We're talking musical history on this podcast.